0: Welcome to the Theory First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. We've been asking some interesting questions over the last several weeks. What do you think is the most quoted verse in the Bible? How about the most loved? Or what do you think is the most difficult verse in the Bible to deal with? We've been diving deep into these questions in a series called The Most. Today Pastor Nicole will conclude our series by discussing the most sobering verse in the Bible. We're asking, would a loving God really punish people with a place like hell? It's a heavy topic, but one that we cannot afford to ignore. So let's get started today and conclude our series.
1: 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5-10 through 10. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled, and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you.
2: Well, good morning. Um, I have a joke, but I'm only gonna tell you if you promise to laugh. Can I, is there any scouts on or out there? Are you in the mood for a joke? All right, it's been a long week with lots of snow, so I thought I would start out with a joke. All right, so here it goes. I'm always nervous when I start with one of these. So an Illinois man uh, left his cold, snowy home uh, for a vacation in Florida. And his wife was on a business trip and was planning to meet him there the next day. So when he reached his hotel, he decided to send his wife a quick email to let him know, let her know that, that he had arrived. Now, unable to find the scrap paper on which he had written her email address, he did his best to type it in from memory. What a guy. Unfortunately, he missed one letter and his note was misdirected. Everyone go, oh, what's gonna happen? Okay. The email instead went to an elderly preacher's wife whose husband had passed away only the day before. Everyone say, oh, that's terrible. So when the grieving widow checked her email, she took one look at the monitor, let out a piercing scream, and fell to the floor. And her family rushed in to see what was the matter, and they saw the note on the screen. It said, dearest wife, just got checked in. Everything prepared for your arrival tomorrow from your loving husband. P.S. Sure is hot down here. (laughs) Good job, you guys did a good. You can groan, you can laugh. Thank you, Gary, for the clap. I couldn't resist. So the verse that we're looking at today uh, is not as popular as, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, or as comforting and warm as the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. But these verses are equally loving as those. Even though you just heard them read to you today, and you might be thinking, Oh, Pastor Nicole, they don't sound very warm and fuzzy today. Uh, These verses, I want to convince you today as we walk through this word, that they are equally loving. Today is the last Sunday in our series called The Most, and we will be talking about the most sobering verse. So this passage comes from 2 Thessalonians. And the back story is that Apostle Paul had to write a second letter to the Thessalonians to explain his first letter. So what he realized is all the things he was teaching the, the church, uh, they weren't understanding all of it. And so he writes another letter just a few months later. Now, Paul was still in the city of Corinth. Uh, he wrote the second letter from there. And it was about 50 years after Christ was born. So about 20 years since Christ was crucified and resurrected. So he was writing this letter to people that actually had seen and and known uh, Christ dying on the cross and rising from the dead. So these people were very much aware Of what was happening. And Paul had learned that there was a great deal of confusion in the church uh, regarding the second coming of the Lord. And so much of what you just heard read to you is Paul's attempt to clear up what the scripture is saying about the future of humanity. Now, what we know, uh, from, from the scripture is that even now, at this very moment, our Father is preparing a place for Christ's followers. And, and in the kingdom of God, He's building this beautiful, amazing kingdom that if you're a follower of Jesus, you will dwell someday. And in that kingdom, there is no sin. There is no Satan, there are no demons, there is no injustice, there is no tyranny, there is no evil, there is no racism, we don't need any hospitals, anybody excited about that? We don't need any police officers, we don't need any soldiers, there isn't sin, the things in our life that cause us to need those things, the presence of sin will not be at work in the kingdom of God, heaven will be a place of joy, of peace, of no tears, and of no sadness. And heaven is a very real place, as real as the building you're sitting in today. Heaven is a place. It's a very, very real place. And 2 Thessalonians 1 speaks about the sobering reality that, yes, heaven is real. And because this is true, there is another very real location that exists, a place that exists where souls go that do not enter into heaven. And this is a biblical place, and this biblical place is called hell. Now, the evangelist D.L. Moody reportedly uh, was sharing Christ with a young man. The man had trouble understanding his need for salvation. And at one point, he said to Moody, if I could see heaven for five minutes, just give me a little glimpse of heaven for five minutes, I think I could believe. And Moody's response was, if you see hell for five seconds... You will have no trouble with this decision. Hell is hard to digest. It's hard to talk about. Even as Christ followers, it's hard to talk about. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but my strategy uh, talking about uncomfortable things is I just ignore them and hope they go away. If we just don't talk about it, if we just don't think about it, then maybe it'll just go away. But hell has not evaporated even if you never think about it, even if you never hear about it or talk about it, it does not cease to exist simply because we don't believe in it or because we're uncomfortable talking about it. So the most common reason the idea of hell is rejected revolves around this question. And this this question I have asked myself several times, and I wonder if you have too. And I think it's a natural question to ask as a human being. And the question is, But how could a loving God punish anyone with hell? How could a loving God, the love of God that we just experienced, we heard, we saw, all of these amazing testimonies of the love of God. How can a loving God ever do that to someone? The Bible teaches us that God is love. A love that is eternal, grand, compassionate. And just because God is loving does not mean he loves anyone everything. Just because God is loving does not mean he loves everything. In fact, the scripture talks about there are some things that not only does God not love, God hates. He hates murder. He hates abuse. He hates selfishness. He hates pride. No sin can come near a holy God. And it would not be very loving of God to look at something like child abuse and say, Yeah, I'm not really bothered by that. The loving God that we have is bothered by things that hurt us. And because our loving God hates bad things, he does something about it. He says, Look, it's not fair. I am just. I'm not just loving, I'm also just. And there, therefore, sin must be punished. Sin must be put to death forever and only perfect things are in his perfect kingdom. I like this quote. It describes it well. God's wrath is not a cranky explosion, but his settled opposition for the cancer of sin. This sin is eating out the insides of the human race whom he loves with his whole being. God hates sin because it hurts us. God hates sin because it hurts the people that he loves. And so a loving God punishes and puts sin to death. That's what a loving God does. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't say it's okay. He doesn't say everything's okay. He says, this stuff that's hurting my children cannot exist anymore. It must be put to death. Part of our passage today in 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 said, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. This means God will settle up one day. He will right every wrong. So even if when you are on earth, you are um, horribly injusticed, and that is a terrible, awful situation to be in, I want you to know that that won't be like that forever because God is loving and he's just. And not one act of injustice, not one act of pain, not one transaction of torture Will ever be overlooked. Uh, from the smallest humiliation to the most horrible holocaust, not one will be forgotten. And hell is permitted because God is both loving and just. Another popular line of thinking is to believe in a softer version of hell. Some would say it's annihilation. Basically, this idea that when you go to hell, it's not destruction or punishment. You just cease to exist. It's just nothing. There's heaven, and there's nothing. And, and there's not punishment or destruction. There's just, you just cease to exist. But 2 Thessalonians 1.9 says, would refute that thinking when it says they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might and in Matthew 25:46, it says clearly then they will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life Another angle uh, some take is called universalism, and this concept is that everyone will end up in heaven, that somehow this line of thinking that God will eventually reconcile all people, he'll figure it out, it'll all kind of land, you know, he's so loving, it'll all land at the end, everything will be okay. Some even go as far to say even Satan and the demons will be saved. Jesus himself taught about hell, and I think when Jesus teaches about something himself, it's pretty important, (laughs) He he decided he wanted to set the record straight from his mouth. This is what he's teaching. And Jesus did not teach annihilation or universalism. Jesus described hell 11 times in the New Testament with the word Gehenna. And Gehenna was actually a literal place in Israel. Okay, so it was this place. Uh, it was a valley that was outside the city of God, and it was so repulsive. It actually was uh, a place where they would dump garbage, where they all the the um, toxins and the uh, the refuse and the sewage from the city would go. Uh, terrible men would go there and they would offer child sacrifices and the terrible things would happen in this valley and and in fact it was set on fire to try to burn some of the garbage and it would just be burning all the time away the garbage and the impurities and so this place was crawling with worms and maggots and it was not just terrible on the outside people did terrible things there and it was this literal place outside of jerusalem and jesus said look Let me use this as a word picture. This is what hell is gonna be like. This is the final judgment of the wicked. The longest and most specific narrative about hell is found in Luke 16. And Jesus presents this story about a rich man and Lazarus, and he describes two men, who are polar opposites. Uh, there, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine clothes and, and had everything he ever needed and then some and lived this amazing life on earth. And then there was a beggar. And the beggar's name was Lazarus and he was poor and he was uh, covered in sores. And, and the scripture even says the dogs licked his sores just to try to give him some relief And I want to read to you in Luke 16, 22 through 26, what happens when they die. It says, The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away, with Lazarus by his side. nor can anyone cross over from there to us. This narrative tells us some really specific things about eternity. First, it tells us that after a person dies, they can't switch teams. That a soul dies as redeemed or under judgment It also says that after death, there's no passing from one condition to the other. And it gives us a small snapshot of what the rich man was experiencing. And it uses words like torment and agony in the fire. The Bible tells us that hell is completely cut off from God's presence, Like I said, it's described as fire and sulfur and a place of darkness. It's outside of God's great city. And maybe these particular ideas are figurative in in nature. That's possible. But here's the thing. If it's figurative in nature, if these descriptions are figurative, it is obviously symbolic of something so awful that no one in his or her right mind could be indifferent about it or dismiss it. Jesus is trying to get our attention. He's trying to explain, listen, hell is going to be really, really bad. There's been songs written about hell. There's been movies made. Even some comedians referencing hell in humorous ways. I opened with a joke about hell. And I've heard people say, I don't care if I go to hell uh, because I'll just have a party with my drinking buddies and we'll be there together. And so this will just be a one big old party in hell. And, and who cares? I'm not worried about it. This is going to be, you know, no matter what, it's going to be so, so, so great and just party with these other people who also are, are in this space with me. And I want to tell you today that nothing could be further from the truth. Friendship even is from the Lord. Whether you believe in God or not, there will be no friendship in hell. There will be no party in hell. Nothing could be further from the truth. Second Thessalonians 1.9, those in hell are punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. So why did Jesus preach about hell? Why would a, a loving, amazing God tell us this terrible, awful news. Jesus preached about hell because he wanted to bring people to a decision. The truth is, judgment is coming for all of us. And we will face two destinies. We will either decide and accept God's gift of salvation or we will reject it. And knowing the truth about hell can motivate us to make our salvation solid and sure. The scripture says hell is not just for really, really bad guys like Hitler and Osama bin Laden. It's a reality for any human soul who rejects the gospel, even the people that are doing good works their whole life on earth. If they do not understand the gospel, it is a reality for them. Hell is bad news. It's sobering. I don't want to water it down this morning. I don't want to make light of it. Hell is bad news. It is bad, bad news. And if God was cruel and unloving and distant, he would not give us any option but hell. He would say, look, your sins, your failures have kept you from me. I can't have sin around me. I'm a holy God. And therefore, because you messed up, because you made these mistakes, you can't be around me. That's what a cruel and distant and unloving God would do. But tucked in the most sobering verse in the Bible, tucked right next to this warning from a loving God about hell is the best news of all time. And this is what it says, is that instead of punishment, you can spend eternity in glory with Jesus. 2 Thessalonians 1.7 describes the moment the Lord Jesus Christ will be revealed from heaven in blazing fire and with powerful angels. And the scripture says it will be a day of great glory and great rejoicing. And those who believe and obey Christ will then meet their Savior face to face. Every question will be answered, every tear wiped away, every heart mended. Yeah, thank God for that. If we don't understand what we are saved from, we can't appreciate what we're saved to. We need to understand what hell is all about and where it is we aren't going to go for us to have this great joy and anticipation for the kingdom of God that he is creating for us. You see, God in his love has done everything possible to deliver us from hell. He's done everything he can to keep us from that place. And in the most loving and just way, he describes that place to us so that we know that we can make a decision to turn from it. But his justice requires that he punish sin, but his love provides salvation freely for all who accept it. And Jesus gives us an invitation to believe the gospel. He gives us an invitation to identify ourselves with him. He says in the scripture, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven. I think sometimes as Christians, we, we have this moment, we have this experience, and then we forget that truly your sin will still have to be reckoned Your sin will still have to be taken care of. You have sinned and that sin will need to be punished forever. But a loving God says, look, you deserved it. It was your sin, but I'll take it. I'll do this for you. This sin will need punished. It's not like we're just forgetting about it or, okay, no big deal. That's not at all what the message of the gospel is. The message is Jesus Christ will take that sin that needs punished and he will bear the punishment in your place. But the choice is yours to make. You will live forever. That's how it's designed. Everyone listening to this this morning will live forever. Everyone on the outside of the walls of this church will live forever. Everyone will live forever somewhere. Whether you believe you're going to live forever or not, that's the reality of the situation. And you will live forever somewhere. In a very real place called heaven or in a very real place called hell. Jesus speaks of heaven and hell more than anyone in the whole Bible. And the wrath of God is mentioned about 600 times. And the wrath of God is spoken to create in us a sense of urgency. The clock is ticking. And after this life, you can't switch teams. There's no second chance. And so in that urgency, not in that fear, not in that emotion, but in that urgency, you better get it straightened out with Jesus right now while there's still time because it's a fearful thing to pass into eternity without assurance. The God who sees and knows all will judge the living and the dead. I want you to be concerned about that. That should concern you. And God tells you, about the consequences of his wrath so that you will have a sense of urgency so that you will know you're in the dire need of a savior. And he invites you to come and he invites to rescue you from the hell that we're all barreling towards. Speaking as candidly and as clearly as I can this morning, if you are not sharing the truth of the gospel with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers, then you either don't actually believe what the Bible says about hell, or you don't love them enough to tell them the truth. The worship team is going to come this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. We've looked at this verse. We've talked about this verse. I have tried to explain this verse to you the best I know how. But I want you to know this morning, looking and talking isn't enough. You have to make a decision. And the decision is yours to make. I can't make it for you. Your mom can't make it for you. Your grandma can't make it for you. You have to make this decision. Where are you going to spend eternity? Maybe at some point in your life you prayed a prayer, uh, but you've been living far from God. You're doing your thing, you're doing it your way. You are ignoring his word. If that is you, you have to reconnect your life to Jesus today. Maybe you're here or maybe you're watching online and you've never made the decision to follow Jesus. And as I've been talking, you realize you are ready. You are ready to decide your life direction and decide your eternal destination. I wanna pray with you, I wanna pray with you. If you're here, if you're online or in this room, will you just pray with me, agree with me this morning. Lord, and this moment. I pray for people who are considering the most important decision they'll ever make, the choice between heaven and hell. I thank you that you are a just God, that you are a loving God. I thank you that in your justice, you could have let us all barrel towards hell, but God, you didn't, you, you rescued us. God, you gave us the option to change direction. And so God, we choose you. We repent of the things in our life that keep us from you. We repent of the way our thinking, our, our, the way we process our, our emotions, our selfishness. God, we repent of those things and we thank you for your love and we thank you for your forgiveness. And I pray for each person in this room that is at a crossroads, is at a decision point. I just see in my mind, like many of you standing in the middle of an intersection and the Lord is just beckoning you to take one step in his direction because he'll come all the way to you. I pray Holy Spirit that you would give the men and women in this room, the courage to take a step in your direction and that they will respond to the love and the justice in who you are today and forever. It's in your strong name I pray, amen. Would you stand? We're gonna sing this last song, just declaring that we exalt God. And here's how I'd like to end. I just want to invite you forward to this space. Maybe you just prayed that prayer. Maybe you need to pray that prayer. Maybe you're processing that, but I want to ask you to come space out. We can honor the COVID rules up here too, but let's just declare together today in a posture of praise with a new relationship, a new passion for our relationship with Jesus, a new passion to tell others the truth about the gospel. The fact is, hell isn't easy to talk about. It's hard to digest. That doesn't make it any less real. And we have to respond. We have to respond in our hearts to what God's doing. So I just wanna invite you to come. Let's just exalt God for this moment before we rush off the rest of our day. So thank you, will you lead us? and receive all the parts of who you are. Today, we pray for a new passion to share the hope of the gospel with those in our life. I pray that this sobering verse bothers us, that it puts our posture, our position of serving you first. Thank you, Lord, for giving us an option instead of hell. Lord, we choose you. We choose you. We choose you. We choose heaven. love you. We're thankful for the fullness of who you are. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Erie First Podcast. If you like this podcast, please give us a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. You can find all our series videos and podcasts at eriefirst.org, along with all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.